Hello and welcome to Act to Age, a podcast for two adults dive into young adult books in order to discuss how their appeal transcends age and other boundaries. My name is Tasia. And I'm Corinne. And today we are talking about The Cruel Prince by Holly Black with return of a special guest, our friend Jenna. Hi. Thanks so much for coming back to talk with us about this book. We're so excited. It's been a long time since you've been here. It has. Yeah. Yeah, one of our Raven Cycle episodes way back in the beginning of this year. Uh, God, that was this year. I know it's all a blur. (laughs) 2021 is a blur. Those episodes were a blur too. I can't believe we did them so long ago and they were so fun. But this is really fun too, because I read the Raven Cycle at Tasia's urging and then I made Jenna read it. And then I think a similar thing happened here too, where uh, Tasia and friend of the pod, Jesse had read The Folk of the Air trilogy and told me to read it. And I think I read it and immediately texted Jen. I think we both like inhaled it at a similar pace, like right around the same time. Completely flew through it. Yeah. 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 And as we were chatting a little bit before we got on air today, because Jen and I have read a lot of the same things, we once had a very lengthy discussion comparing all of our favorite ships in all of the YA fantasy we read. It wasn't really a bracket, but it felt like a bracket. But we came down to who our favorite ship was. And it was like, no holds barred. Like, it was Jude and Carden. Oh, no competition. No competition whatsoever. So this is really exciting to have you here today for the beginnings of that ship. Uh, I guess that's that's not a spoiler, right? No. (laughs) Like, where this is going. It's very clear. (laughs) From page three. Yeah. Exactly who the ship is. Yeah. So uh, on that note, you know, as we often do when we cover a series, we are going to try to keep the episode spoiler free. So if you're reading along for the first time, we're not going to spoil what's in the other two books of this trilogy. Uh, We'll talk at the end. We will have a spoiler section. There'll be some, a musical cues that you're, that's your stopping point. Come back to us later. So we're going to try really hard not to spoil it, but yeah, I guess that's, it's true. It's not, a spoiler that that is the ship. I mean, the writing's on the wall. If you've read any YA fantasy, it's like, oh, they hate each other. Hmm. That and they like make out in this book. That's true. They do. <laughs> so they do. okay, that's, a, that's enough. Very, right there. very true. <laughs> uh, before we dive into the book this week, what is everyone obsessing over? Tasia, you want to start? Sure. So like everybody else in the world right now, apparently, I uh, have been binging Squid Games. I just finished it last night, actually. Okay. I mean, if, if you're living under a rock and you haven't heard of it yet, <laughs> um, it's on Netflix. It's a, um, a a Korean show about basically fucked up rich people. Um, <laughs> uh, they basically get a bunch of people that are like in severe debt. And uh, get them to sign up to play these games. And it's a bunch of kids games like Red Light, Green Light, um, stuff like that. And uh, it's sort of, I've seen it build as like the Battle Royale meets um, Saw meets. Yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty much what I would oh, call it. Okay. Um, and then like, you know, people bet on like who's going to make it out. And it's a super dark. It's very violent, but it's really good. I just finished it. I wasn't too satisfied with the ending of it, but I think everything that we get leading up to it is really good. So it's still worth going through for me. Interesting. Um, 
And then I've also been reading a lot. Most of what I've been reading has been stuff that, uh, Corinne, you have already talked about on this podcast. So I'm not really going to get into it, but I want to throw it out there that I have been going through Throne of Glass. And uh, yeah, we're going we're gonna to to talk about at some point, probably. I still have two books to go. I don't know how you stopped where you did. Jenna. <laughs> like, I, really I know don't. I was going to say, I thought you were reading them like right after Corinne was. I think maybe I'm just like worried that it'll be over and so I'm wanting to prolong it. And there's just been so much stuff that's come out that I've wanted to read. And my TBR list is so long, but yeah, I ended at like the quintessential cliffhanger. Yeah. Like a huge cliffhanger. (laughs) I think it's like, I love Kale, but like the thought of an entire book that I have to get through to get the answer to the cliffhanger, I think is a little daunting to me. Yeah, which fair. I think is why I probably paused. Fair. No, it's true. It's fair. I get it. That is a huge book, right? Tower of Dawn is the kill book, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I can, I it can is. It's that. big. It's like 800 something pages. And I love him. So I'm excited for the book. I think I'm just like having to bring myself up to it. As much as I'm sure Corinne says that she understands, I, I see the pain and rage <laughs> <laughs> behind your eyes. No, it's is hard to press pause on the main on the main plot of that series because it is such a big cliffhanger and yeah, it does feel daunting. For those of you who don't know, the like penultimate book in the Throne of Glass series is told from like only one character's perspective. He's sent off to go do something elsewhere. So his book runs parallel at the same time to the events of the sixth book, Empire of Storms. And then Empire of Storms ends on a huge cliffhanger. But then you have to go and see what Cal has been doing this whole time in Tower of Dawn, which is very relevant to the end plot of the last book. But it's, yeah, it is very frustrating uh, to do. I totally get it. So no, Tasha, it thrills me though that you are reading Throne of Glass. Not just that you're reading Throne of Glass, but that you said you are reading a bunch of other things that I talked about and loved because it brought me great joy. Battle Royal. Mm-hmm, by Lucy the, Parker. The cupcake. Yep. So good. Loved it. You told me about that one. Yeah, you should read it, Jenna. You'll like it. Mm-hmm. It's really good. I'm like, am I really into older men now? Like, oh, is yeah. That, is that a thing that's happened to me? I think yeah, the is. maturity. Mm-hmm. How old is he? Like, like 38. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, closer to and our it's age. It's nice because in, in like yeah. romance novels, you get a whole lot of like, you know, they went 10 sessions in one night, you know, and, and it's all very <laughs> intense, but it's this one is realistic in a way that like it doesn't t- take away from like the escapism of it. It's like, Oh no, I'm done after two. Like it's, it's, it's bedtime. And she's like, I'm done too. <laughs> like, yeah, we're going to bed. It's very endearing. Um, but yeah, so that, that thrills me that you are liking these. I mean, I knew that you would obviously, but mm-hmm. it just, it, I like when we could talk about things, it's like, I reread the book then. Cause I do. Cause I just start. You literally do. Again. Yeah. <laughs> Every time I'm reading something you've already read, you're like, so I just read it again. Or I just read the, the ending again. Yeah. Oh my God. When else? Oh, you read One Good Earl Deserves a Lover, which is yeah. like my favorite Sarah McLean, which I think Jenna, you read. You- I love that book. <laughs> I loved it too. Good. Cross might be my favorite of, of all the Sarah McLean heroes. Yeah. He's good. Yeah. He's real good. That book is really good. They're just like perfectly suited for each other. They are. My text messages from Tasia have been really fun lately. Um, on a similar note, I guess my obsessions are also like kind of carryover obsessions. I don't know like what I've been doing. We haven't recorded it in a while. I did go on vacation. So I literally 
but is the city of Denver a good obsession? Like, I don't know. It was really fun. It was cool. I've never been to Colorado. Denver's a great city. Mountains are awesome. Like I thought like I was prepared to see mountains and then you like, see them up close and you're like, whoa, nature is really cool. Um, so that was an obsession, I guess. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was super fun. I liked that a lot. But otherwise, everything I've been consuming has been a carryover of things I've already talked about being obsessed with on the show. Watch all of sex education season three, continuing with my Peaky Blinders binge. The Killian Murphy obsession has not decreased at all. If anything, it's grown. Um, and I've read what I have read has been carryovers from things I've talked about before, too. A particular standout, I think, is uh, Once Upon a Broken Heart, which is the newest book by Stephanie Garber. It's set in the Caraval universe. So I read the Caraval trilogy about a month and a half ago kind of in preparation for this. And I just really, really loved it. It's about a character that you meet in the trilogy. This is their own story now that they're getting their own series. And her writing has just elevated a lot. There's a lot more maturity in it. I think I said when I talked about that series, I'm like, it's very YA in a way that didn't bother me. I just knew that going in. This felt a little more elevated across the board and I very much appreciated it. And uh, yeah, it's been a it was really good. I knew I was going to like it, but I was like, oh, wow, this is like even better than the trilogy in terms of its writing and stuff. So that was very exciting. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. And now I'm into this again because like the obsession's never ended. So right. <laughs> we're just thrown back into it. How about you, Jenna? Anything exciting? I have been trying to get into a spooky mood for the month of October. So I've been reading a lot of horror novels. Mm. I just read... My Best Friend's Exorcism by Grady Hendrix. Great. Oh, interesting. Um, he wrote a Southern Vampire or something. Southern like, Book Club's Guide. And something Final Girl. Maybe. Yeah. Final Girl Support Final Group or something. Support yeah. group, which I've read and I really enjoyed. But I read a book called Hell House. I think it's by Richard Matheson. And I think I girl bossed a little too close to the sun on that one. <laughs> and I've been sleeping with every light. On my, in my apartment <laughs> on at all times, like nightlights. I have a Himalayan salt lamp that I haven't used <laughs> in three years that I've turned on. It's um, not about haunted houses. Get me yeah. more than like a serial killer or whatever. I mean, I luckily live in like a U-shaped apartment building and I'm in the back. So you'd have to really be seeking me out. <laughs> <laughs> to break in and murder me. And if you get through two locked doors, then you've earned it. I'll just, you know, do what you gotta do. But something about ghosts is just getting to me. I don't know. I can't, I can't, I can't handle it. On a scale of one to Nick Miller in the haunted house in New Girl, like where are you at? Of- uh, I am Nick Miller punching Jess in the face. That's where I'm at. <laughs> Just excellent. Any any sound, any sound. I'm like yeah. hands up, ready <laughs> to like karate chop a ghost. Yeah, I'm just assuming that they're here, that yeah. they're watching me at all times. And <laughs> my life. That's, that's totally fair. You two both have like a tolerance for scary things that I don't possess. So like my level is watching comedy shows about scary things. Hence that mean or mean girl, <laughs> new girl. Uh, new girl <laughs> reference there watch that episode if you've never watched new girl before it's so funny it's like peak nick miller i love him so much <laughs> great well those those i w- would say like i'm interested in reading them but i'm not because i'm scared yet. i regret <laughs> it so i'm not gonna recommend it um i mean it was it was a fine book it was weirdly boring at times but 
it was yeah. genuinely scary at some points. And now I'm living just in terror daily. Yeah. So <laughs> yay, spooky season. <laughs> yeah. And my upstairs neighbor has a cat and you can hear him. So at 3 a.m. I would hear him and just I'm like, I'm gonna die. It's a ghost. It's a ghost. Gonna it's I'm it. gonna get possessed by a ghost. Yeah. And die. He had a good run, so yeah. <laughs> I have 30 years on this beautiful earth. That's enough, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't there's no good segue there. <laughs> no, Jenna's anyway. gonna die. Anyway. Jenna's gonna die. But before she goes, at least <laughs> you will have this episode to remember me by. <laughs> Is there's gonna be like an in memoriam <laughs> slideshow? <laughs> You heard her here last, folks. And it's just me crying <laughs> about how I want Carden to be mean to me. <laughs> this is going to go really well. It's, things are going well. Very unhinged. Very unhinged already, which, like, it's funny because when we were talking about, like, doing this series, I was like, yeah, yeah, like, I know I like this series. And then I read it. I'm like, oh, I am all in again. Like, it just very grips you and does not let you go. And... I'm really excited to talk about it. You know, I think the series is very interesting before we dive into it. Like it's kind of polarizing. Like I think a lot of people love it, but on like Bookstagram and Book Talk, a lot of people like don't like it. And I'm kind of like, well, I don't like you then. I'm like, I don't understand. I don't understand it. And I get it. Everyone's opinions are valid, except mm-hmm. for that one. Yeah. That's yeah. wrong. You're wrong. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's nothing I can say to you other than read it again. Yeah. And honestly, even though like I've read this series before and I know that I love it, I think I've been like brainwashed a little bit by like book talk and stuff, talking shit that when I reread it this time, I was expecting the quality to be lower than what it actually is. And what it is, it's really good. The writing is stellar. It's incredible. The plotting is excellent. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, great pacing. Yeah, I like the world building a lot. Yeah, and the people people really like to make fun of Cardin's tale. To which I say, if you are down with the Bat Boys and the Akatar series and their wings, you you are a hypocrite for not liking Cardin right. because he has a tail. That like, and the tail is just, such a non thing. Like it's so it's it never comes except up. for when it is. Though. <laughs> Spoiler <laughs> for later. <laughs> Anyway, but no, I think we do get nice moments with the tail on this book. We'll talk about them. But yeah, so I just, I really like this series. And that's a really interesting point to Tasia of like feeling brainwashed. Like, yeah, like, w- was I wrong for not liking this book or for liking this book as much as I did? And I, I know I've talked on the show before about how like I hadn't read any YA fantasy in a really long time. And then the Raven Cycle kind of got me back into it. And this was one of the earlier series I read in that new journey back into discovering fantasy in my life. And I couldn't tell if it was just, I held it in such high esteem because I read it so early in that journey, but now I'm like, no, like it is still really good. Like I said, Jenna and I read so much more since this and like, it still came back to this. And I, this reread definitely is cementing that for me. So I'm really excited to talk about it. On that note, we'll start with a book summary. I love when we cover a series that has an established fandom and therefore an established like fandom Wikipedia page with just well-written summaries for me to copy and paste from. So this is from like the Folk of the Air Wiki page. Thanks to whoever wrote this. And I will dive in with this quick book summary. When Jude Duarte was seven, her parents were murdered by Maddox, who her mom had previously been married to in the land of fairy and escaped from before Jude was born, ultimately marrying a mortal man who is Jude's father. 
Maddox takes Jude, her twin sister, Taryn Duarte, and her older half-sister, Vivian, back home to Alfame. In Alfame, they are raised among the gentry by him and his wife, Oriana, alongside Oriana and Maddox's son, Oak. Jude aspires to be a knight in order to become a permanent member of the court, but Maddox forbids her. Cardin Greenbrier, the youngest son of King Aldred, despises Jude and often bullies her at school along with his friends, Nicasia, Locke, and Valerian. Vivi wants Jude and Taryn to live in the human world with her and her girlfriend, Heather, but Jude has grown too used to fairy and wants to find a place for herself there. Cardin's older brother, Dane, offers Jude the chance to be his spy in exchange for immunity to any glamour except his. Jude accepts. On her first mission to Prince Balkin's home, Hollow Hall, Jude steals a copy of Alice in Wonderland. She discovers a letter from Orla, the queen of the undersea, and Acacia's mother, implying that Balkin will poison Dane with blusher mushroom. She also sees Balkin beat Cardin in a sword fight and lash him with his belt for not killing a human servant. Jude meets the other members of the Court of Shadows, the Bomb, the Roach, and the Ghost. Later at home, a piece of paper falls out of Alice in Wonderland, and she discovers Cardin wrote her name all over it. She begins practicing Mithridiatism. Is that sure. right? <laughs> Idiotism, the process of building up an immunity to poisons. Valerian eventually discovers Jude's resistance to glamours and tries to kill her, but she stabs him. Locke invites her to a party at his house and gives her a dress that belonged to his mother, Laura I.P. The next day, she discovers a golden acorn in the pocket of a dress Locke gave her that tells her about Lariope's death by Blusher Mushroom. This clue causes her to reconsider Queen Orla's letter, which she decides was merely indicating the location of particular mushrooms. On one mission, Jude attempts to free a human girl named Sophie, but Sophie commits suicide. Dane found out that she stabbed Valerian and is angry at her for acting recklessly. He forces her to stab her hand. That night, Valerian tries to kill her in her bedroom, but she kills him. Soon afterwards, she and the ghost kill a messenger who turns out to be one of Maddox's spies in disguise. Before the coronation, Maddox gives Jude a sword forged by her biological human father. At the coronation, Balkan and Maddox stage a coup, which kills the entire royal family except for Cardin. Jude and Cardin escape to the Court of Shadows headquarters, where she holds him captive. Cardin tells her, the roach, and the ghost that Dane killed a child he had with Eldred's consort. He did so because of a prophecy saying that if the child lives, he would never be king. Back home, Jude finds out that Locke has been dating her and Taryn at the same time and challenges Taryn to a duel. Vivi glamours them to stop, but the glamour does not work on Jude due to the geese. Maddox lectures Jude and tells her she can have anything she wants in exchange for Cardin. He also mentions a banquet being held by Balakin. Vivi asks Jude if she wants to move to the human world again. Jude comes to the realization that Oak is Dane and Lariope's child and that Maddox wants to rule through him. She later interrogates Cardin and kisses him. She makes a plan to crown Oak and Cardin swears himself to her for a year and a day. On the day of the banquet, Jude and Maddox duel over the crown. Jude manages to win by poisoning Maddox's wine. However, it turns out that Jude has Oak crown Cardin so he can be her puppet king. And that is the cruel prince. <laughs> I'm just over here giggling at like Jude interrogates Cardin and kisses him. Like just to- totally normal uh, interrogation stuff. You know? <laughs> I mean, as one does. <laughs> Interrogate your enemy. Make out yeah. with your enemy. Make out with him. Yeah, that scene... Uh, lives rent free in my brain and that was mm-hmm. probably the moment where i was like oh i'm really into this a lot because she's got a knife to his throat i was gonna say there's like, a knife there it's a knife involved checking off all the boxes honestly yeah it's a great moment i think what i really like about this book maybe is a good place to start and something we already hinted about like it just starts on page one and it never stops and it throws you into this world 
but like it never feels clunky or burdensome in its world building. I think it's so, so well done by Holly Black. Like it's just fascinating to me how easily she throws you in and how compelling it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, even in that first couple pages, you're completely just thrown into the character of Dude. And, yeah. You know, I hate when it's writing where it's like, oh, my name is Jude. I'm 17 years old. My hair is blonde and beautiful. Yeah. And I have green <laughs> eyes and everyone loves me. Okay. You're just immediately thrown into the situation and you see how Jude responds to it. And that's how she responds. And it's so in character the rest yeah, of the I, book. I mean, she w- watches her father and her mother get murdered and she runs across the room and throws herself at the murderer, which is yeah. exactly it's Jude all what over. she does. Yeah. It establishes her character in like the simplest, most effective way right away. And you know exactly who Jude is and it carries through the whole book. It's such a compelling, such a compelling prologue. And not only does it set up Jude immediately like running after Maddox and like wailing on him, but like we have Vivi immediately being like, I will hate you forever. Mm -hmm. And she does like, this is her biological father. Uh, and she swears immediately to hate them. <laughs> then we have like Taryn over on the side, like crying uselessly over their mother's body. And I don't mean to be unsympathetic, Ugh. but like we hate Taryn. So mm-hmm. I I will be. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> yeah. <good. laughs> but I do think that really kind of sets up the sisters in a really interesting way. And also sets forth too, like what I think is one of the things that sets this series apart in a lot of ways from other fantasy novels is like the interesting dynamic between Maddox and Jude and the fact that like immediately he's like, no, I'm taking you with me. He doesn't have to, mm-hmm. but he does. And it's, it's just, it's such an interesting dynamic and their relationship I think is so fascinating to read about. Yeah. This time around, I like the first time you're very obviously focused on like the Jude and Cardin of it all. Mm -hmm. Uh, But this time I was really focused on the Maddox and Jude of it all. Like their, their relationship dynamic. It's so complex. It's so fascinating the way that like he is. And in so many ways, like a genuinely good dad, he cares about them. He's affectionate. She talks about how he, you know, would let them sit on his lap and eat the food off of his plate um, he worries about them. He he trains them. He does all of this stuff, but he's still fundamentally like the, this creature of of violence and this like inhuman kind of creature that murdered her parents. And that that thread is is going through their entire relationship. And it's just it's really fascinating the way that yeah. they navigate that. Yeah, and Jude says I love him. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's hard to understand that. And yeah, the first time I read it, I didn't really get it. But reading it now, their their relationship is really interesting. Um, and that she kind of says it like matter-of-factly. I do yeah. love him. And yeah. he was kind to me and he raised me up the best way that he could. And I think yeah. it just sets up that like the stakes are higher mm-hmm. in this this world. You know, your wife runs away, so you get to kill her. Yeah. And yeah. Murder and blood and death are just everyday things there. Yeah. That you really see, I think, when Taryn and Jude grow up there, they kind of also fall into that. Yeah. Can't think of the word I'm looking for. But yeah. That- into, into that, the trap essentially of this whole world. And they're obviously, like, I think, very much drawn into that. And it sets up like a really interesting conflict 
like that Jude has with it herself. You know, Maddox talks or hints at one point about like the guilt that he feels uh, about killing their mother, who he loved. And I think it comes about after Taryn and Jude fight and have the jewel. Or yeah, whatever. he says like if you would have hurt Taryn, you would have regretted it forever. And yeah, it's clearly like he's referencing the way he feels about killing their mother. Right. Yes. So like this idea of like good versus evil, how we contain both within ourselves. You know, Maddox says I think in that same <laughs> scene, there's little good in me, but I own I owe you a debt, and I've sworn to do the best by you that I know how. And he has in so many ways, and. The way that Jude tries to emulate him in so many ways, and but also push back against the same cruelty that he has herself. I think she thinks at one point, maybe there's something broken in me from watching my parents being murdered. Maybe my messed up life turned me into someone capable of doing messed up things. But another part of me wonders if I was raised by Maddox in the family business of bloodshed. Am I like this because of what he did to my parents or because he was my parent? Like, just really fascinating stuff. I've never seen anything like this in wife fantasy before. Just in how Jude thinks about so much of that throughout this book. I think one of the moments that was most chilling to me on this read was when she thinks about how she wishes she could hate her mother because then she wouldn't feel mm-hmm. bad about loving Manic. Like, ah, oh, like this stuff. She's so she could be so screwed up, and she thinks so much about how she is screwed up and wonders the extent of that but i think ultimately where it leads in this book and then ultimately across the series is how like empowered she is and how she breaks free from that in a lot of ways but it oh it's just such a fascinating groundwork and i don't know about if you guys feel the same way but for me the end of this book and i knew it was coming this time and we'll talk about it and it's very fascinating how it's done but like the more exciting part for me on reread is her besting maddock and poisoning him mm-hmm. at the end i was like Hell yeah. Like that's our girl. Like she did that because she thinks too at one point about how like she's been trying to fight Cardin this whole time, but really maybe she's fighting her own shadow. Like it's not as much of a conflict as she even thinks that it's been the whole time. Really this series comes down to in a lot of ways, the conflict between her and Maddox and pushing on that relationship. And so that's just really exciting. Like Cardin's not her enemy. We know that by the end of this book. And the way that her relationship with Maddox, I think, influences her, the way that she sees all of the fairies and, and Cardin in particular, like she doesn't trust her own feelings because like you said, she's, you know, in constant conflict with herself over the fact that she loves this man that murdered her parents. And, and that quote that I love so much that you mentioned was, um, you know, she says, sometimes I want to hate her. If I can hate her, then it won't be so bad that I love him. And just like those moments of like tenderness between them, it's, it's so much. Yeah. And I do love how she describes her love for Maddox as uncomfortable mm-hmm. because I think that's very true of how Jude feels constantly. You know, she's in this world where she's immortal. So she's constantly on edge. She lives in the house of her parents' murderer. You know, she has this like infatuation with a guy who has done nothing but be awful and mean and toxic to her. In a hot way, yes, <laughs> but <laughs> super toxic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she just exists in this like state of being uncomfortable. And I thought that was so interesting to read. Yeah, yeah I love it so much because I think the first time I read through it, I, I spent a lot of time being kind of annoyed with Jude um, because she couldn't see like how clearly Cardin felt about her. 
Um, and I was just like, ah, like the signs are all right there. How can you're not noticing this Terran stuff? How can you're not noticing this card and stuff? But on reread, I'm like, no, it makes like from a psychological standpoint, it makes so much sense that of course she doesn't trust anything. She doesn't, tr- you know, besides she, she wants to trust her sister. Her sister's mortal. Her sister's not of the face. So she doesn't expect that betrayal, especially from a twin. Yeah. And then the way that she doesn't trust anybody else like Cardin, she can't believe that his motivations could be anything but pure hatred towards her. Even when she starts kind of dating Locke, it's just, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy because he betrays her too with mm-hmm. Taryn. Yeah. And so anytime she's making herself vulnerable, she's getting hurt, which is, I think it culminates into her speech where she's like, I'm not going to be vulnerable anymore. You are going to have to kill me because nothing else is going right. to work. Yeah. And that vulnerability leads into which into this whole idea of like her being mortal, her being human in this world and how vulnerable that makes her. And I love, I think I, like kind of going to what you said, Tasia, it, I picked up more on this time is like how much that vulnerability has way, like way to weigh at her, like the, the psychological torture of always thinking that you're going to be poisoned or glamored or all of these things. And you get that too from, um, what is her name? Oriana, like constantly telling them like, you need to be careful. And so she's just living in this, like this sort of fear. And I love how we start to get like some pushback on that. You know, she says to the ghost, you know, being mortal means I have to try harder. And he goes, someone really sold you a bill of goods. Plenty of mortals are better at plenty of stuff than the folk. Why do you think we steal them away? I love like the little moments of like her using her human nature to her advantage and stop and how she stops kind of seeing it as much of as a weakness. And I think that particularly it's interesting is her ability to lie. Uh, one of the things I like love most about this world is how cleverly Holly uses the fact that the folk can't lie. And when you know that, and you know how this whole series works out and how this whole book works out, seeing Every single thing that comes out of particularly Cardin's mouth is so fascinating. But the flip side of that is that Jude can lie. And that's a human strength that she has. And I love seeing how she does it and particularly how it comes out at the end of this book. It's I just, totally it, agree. It's yeah, great. I absolutely loved reading her realizing that being mortal does make her vulnerable, but it doesn't make her weak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah she wrestles so much with it. Like, you know, yes, she's vulnerable. She's vulnerable. But if she went back to the human world, that human Jude is also vulnerable too. like the, she says something like the wolves will always come like those, the wolves will eat that Jude alive and the wolves always come. Um, And so she thinks about how she's kind of been broken and she's done all these like kind of horrible things at the end of this book. She's killed people. She's done all this stuff, but like, she's, also been made stronger so she starts to see like there's not a, a a total she can't go back to the human world and like be that person again uh but she can be a strong human in this world and it doesn't have to be as much of a vulnerability or a weakness that she thought it was going to be in i love that well one of the things i think that was interesting when we start talking about Cardin here too is kind of what i said before i think the quote is something like I consider all the things I've done to become a worthy adversary of him, but maybe I haven't been fighting Cardin at all. Maybe I've been fighting my own shadow. And so like, I really love, and I picked up a lot more in this reread on how Cardin, again, it's not her enemy, but really like emboldens her 
in a way that is really fascinating. And I don't know that he's doing it intentionally. Um, I don't think he is actually, but I love how it's such an interesting dynamic to like put in play in into the relationship. You know, she says things to him like to coddle your ego. I have made myself less. I've made myself small. I've kept my head down, but it wasn't enough to make you leave Taryn and me alone. So I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to keep on defying you. I'm going to shame you with my defiance. And it's like, we know a lot about Cardin. He's very complicated and we'll talk about him in a second, but you know, he is, it's the cruel prince. Like he is the cruel one here. It is a lot. There's some toxicity there as Jenna said, but like, I really think it's such a fascinating way to like shape their relationship and have him be like an unintentional, like springboard for a lot of Jude's growth Mm -hmm. because it, I think it really ends up like strengthening where they ultimately lead in this series. And I just think it's, it's just really well done. And it's really, uh, again, it's like unlike anything I've ever seen. Like one of the things we always say about this series is like, this is a true enemies to lovers. Like that phrase is tossed around a lot and it's never true. Like these two actually hate each other. Like Cardin has like feelings for Jude, but he hates that he has them. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of hate here. And I just think it's, it's such a, a, a fun springboard for both of them to see how, uh, they both can grow and change. Yeah. Because of and you other. know that after Jude told him off in that quote, he like immediately went home and locked himself in his room. Like he <laughs> could not even handle it. You wrote, wrote another Jude note. Oh my God. I um, I had to stop reading and take a picture and send it to you. I, I did not change it too. <laughs> the exact same thing. Um, yeah. yeah. Just if I ever so feral married, about that, my wedding vows are just going to be the yeah. <laughs> well, what's, what's really funny about it is like that to me, Tasia, you said like how it's kind of frustrating. She doesn't see how Cardin is. That to me is the biggest moment where it's like, Jude, someone doesn't just like write your yeah. name. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a you. very serial killer-y, um, but like in a, but there's like a level in a of weirdly obsession. affectionate way. Yeah, yeah. Like it's 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 definitely something. Um, and back to what you were saying about how Cardin was kind of like a springboard for Jude's confidence. Mm-hmm. I feel like part of that might be the attention that he puts on her and the way that he tries to constantly put her down. It's almost like a nod to her competence and her capability. Like that he sees her as a threat is almost a compliment to her. And yeah. that in itself is like you know, he's not giving any attention to anybody else. You know, if, if he really didn't see her as somebody with any kind of, with, you know, with no kind of power, then he wouldn't bother with her at all. Right. So I think that in itself could almost be confident, you know, confidence building for her. Yeah. Yeah. And like, he obviously doesn't bold on her in this book. Like every time he says like, don't join the tournament, like, you know, that makes her want to do that. Uh, but it's really interesting then when you think about how, like, really that's him being concerned about her. Like, she's this mm-hmm. little girl going to go into this tournament, like, could get hurt. Like, he is just very concerned about her. And he sees her and knows her enough to that, like, she's going to keep pushing. And he's trying to scare her out of it. And I just, oh, I love he it. He just sucks at it. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah there. And and that like mutual hatred, like you mentioned about how this is like a real, a true enemies to lovers. Um, I love how the line between like love and hatred or like attraction and hatred is just like minuscule in this book. Yeah. Like it is, it's like indistinguishable. 
between them because she's, she thinks um, I hate him more than all the others. I hate him so much. That sometimes when I look at him, I can hardly breathe. Like that's, that's like, that's, that's a crush, babe. Yeah. Like, you might hate him, but that's also a crush, yeah. you know, like you, <laughs> she spent a lot of time talking about how beautiful he is. I'm like, hmm. Mm. Yeah, this this hatred is one knife to throw it away from making out. Yeah. yeah. Oh, what book is it that we cover where it's like when I look at you, I feel like I can't breathe. Is it? Oh, oh it's it, oh, it's it's Reese. It's Reese in um right uh, right. Yeah, that line group. still just makes me think of Buffy. Right, mm-hmm. and it is definitely <laughs> talked about how it's how it's obviously lifted from Buffy. Now we know that, but it's great in that moment where Reese is like, I, I look at you and. <laughs> dying i'm like oh this that's what this is and it's actually mm-hmm. on the back of this book it's uh like the header quote and i was like oh okay like i see what you're setting up here publicity mm-hmm. people trying this book because it's just it's so good and i think we have to talk about too just we've hinted around a little mm-hmm. bit but the the i guess toxicity that is potentially here uh and that's i think something that people have a hard time with this book um because he is awful to her. You know, when I read this book the first time, I obviously like knew what was going to be happening here. So I wasn't looking at it like, oh my God, this guy's a bully and like, he's awful. Like I knew there had to be something more to it. I knew what was being sold to me here. That was an mm-hmm. enemies to lover story. I'm like, there's got to be more here. And it is subtly done. Like there's enough there to establish why Jude thinks that he's being awful but it, it doesn't ever, nothing ever really crosses a line to me that makes me uncomfortable ultimately rooting for Cardin and rooting for him and Jude to be together. I mean, I think, it, again, a lot of it is very subtle and it's hard because Jude's a little bit of an unreliable narrator in that sense because we're in her POV. And so she's looking at things like when uh, Cardin like wades into the river a little bit when they all have them trapped there. And she thinks it's because he wants to get a better look. And it's like, no, no, he's like yes, obviously nervous yes. trying to help you. you. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many instances in this book of where um, like when the bullying goes like a little bit too far, Cardin steps in and it seems like he's stepping in to like take over because he wants to be this, you know, he wants to be the source of the bullying, but really what he's doing is de-escalating the yeah. situation. Like he's continuing to be a shit for sure, but he's being markedly less shitty than the others are are being. Like when he physically kicks Valerian off of her, when he's like trying to kill her with the apple, shoving this apple in her face, and he physically kicks his friend off of her. Yeah. And then, you know, he turns it around and, and then when Acacia is like, you know, come clean my hands with your tongue on your knees. And he steps in, he's like, no, kiss my foot. Because like, that's less, right. you know, um, yeah. it's just, it's interesting to see the way that he tries to deescalate without making it look like that's what yeah. he's doing. I think for me, like Cardin is the cause of her torment, but he also is weirdly her savior mm-hmm. from it in a lot of circumstances. And I think, I don't know if the difference for me is because I can look at this at the bird's eye view and say, this is not a healthy relationship. Yeah. 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 Um, certainly in the beginning, I mean, I think it grows and that's really fun to watch or, or read, but I think the difference is he's not just mean to her. He's awful to everyone. Yeah. I mean, the first time we meet Cardin, I think is the scene where he rips, rips off the wings. Yeah. That boy's wings because he didn't bow to him. And so I think for me, because he was truly like the cruel prince in every aspect, because he him being like that to her 
what wasn't necessarily toxic. That was just him. Yeah. And right. you learn why he's like that. Um, and you learn that his one weakness is actually Jude, but he's tormenting everyone around him. Yeah. That's a really good point that his, his toxicity is not Jude specific. So yeah. And I think too, one of the things that I don't, I think is one of the weaker elements. It's like not as laid out as nicely as some of the other stuff in this book is like his interesting relationship with his friends in this book, because you would think that he's on top as the (laughs) prince, but he's not really. So a lot of it then to me in retrospect, like kind of reads like blustering in a way to like try to regain some control over sociopathic Valerian, who's like just out to kill and he has um, this girl that he was in love with, who is now like playing games too. And he has a lot of vulnerability. And I think the only way he knows how to like kind of handle that is by being cruel. And that's a product of him like being a victim of his brother and beating him, I think. Um, and that's where that all comes from. And it also like the end of this book makes me think too, like how well-founded those fears are for him when this whole coup comes out Mm -hmm. of nowhere. I mean, like he's very vulnerable. So I think that all endears him to me. Um, And just, I just really feel a lot of sympathy for him, Uh, particularly when you do go back and examine all the scenes. And I think it's important that Jude realizes that too. It's not just like she's going in blind, ultimately caving to her attraction to him. She Mm -hmm. realizes like there's more, here than I thought. And she picks up on it along the way in a way that makes it believable for me then that she could ever potentially go down this path with him. You know, she thinks, oh, he, he says, everyone is so dull today, Cardin says, but he doesn't sound as if he's bored. He sounds as if he's barely keeping his temper in check. Like he's watching people do things to her and he's he's angry about it. So I think that all is all there for me in a way that makes me feel okay about it. Although as we've talked about many times on this podcast, I can forgive a lot in a fictional setting. Uh, and there's things that I am all into in fiction that I would not condone in my real life. So like, do I want Cardin to be mean to me? Like, yes, maybe, but like, I don't really yes, want please. that. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm all in. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, just to add on to like the believability of this, like enemies to lovers relationship, when Jude finds out that Cardin's discomfort with her is because he's attracted to her. She kind of throws it back in his face mm-hmm. almost saying, you want me and you hate it. Yeah. And I thought that was such, and she realizes like, oh, I have the power. I yeah. have the knife. Mm-hmm. I have the power. And she kind of rings it for, you know, every drop that it's worth. And I yeah. loved that moment. Yeah. And I do think too, like his whole confession of why he hates her, like leading up to kind of that moment too, but he talks about how he hates, you know, that she has this father who's not really her father, but like treated her with some respect. And like, he Mm -hmm. doesn't have that from his own father. And like, all of it makes a lot of sense. Uh, And I just, it's just so, it's so fascinating to me. I I really love all of it. He says, I hate you because your father loves you, even though you're a human brat born to his unfaithful wife, while mine never cared for me, though I am a prince of fairy. I hate you because you don't have a brother who beats you. And I hate you because Locke used you and your sister to make Nikesha cry after he stole her from me. Besides which, after the terminate bail can never fail to throw you in my face as the mortal who could best me. And she's just like, oh, like... This all like makes sense to making a lot of sense. (laughs) But then she's so smart though. She's like, is that it? 
is that really it? And then he's like, he says the famous thing. We may as well say it now. We can't like skirt around it forever because it's one of the best lines in the book. And I know we all have it listed in superlatives. But when he says, most of all, I hate you because I think of you often. It's disgusting and I can't stop. It's so good. It's big. Um cat in 10 things i hate about you like reading the poem like but mostly it is i don't hate you not not even a little bit not even at all (laughs) if someone does not confess their love and attraction for me by telling me how much they hate them in my life i'm gonna be so disappointed (laughs) it's so good but it like all makes sense and i love this idea of like this feeling of attraction despite like not really liking the person and I think they do like each other. Everything he's saying, and Cardin cannot lie. He cannot. So, like, everything he's saying, like, yes, he hates those things about Jude, but that doesn't mean he, like, truly hates her. He likes her, too. Like, they're both... I think it's... Okay, that's not true. I think he does I think he has her, a lot he of admiration like her. for her yeah. because he sees, like, everything that she overcomes and the fact that, you know, including his own bullying. Yeah. And, uh, you know, how are you not going to respect that? Yeah. Before we talk about how the plot of this book shakes out, because I think it's so brilliant, I think we have to talk about the other like big plot point in this book, which is Wah Wah Taryn. Um, <laughs> she just sucks, doesn't she? Like the entire time, I was every time she spoke or came onto the page, I was like, "Oh my god, shut and up!" It, it sucks so much reading it when you've already read it and you can see all the little times that that all these tiny betrayals that Taryn is making, like like leaving her when knowing that they're going to attack her like and i mean right away it establishes taryn's jealousy regarding Locke, and you know she makes eye contact with him in like page 23 or something and she's like stop staring at him and it makes me so mad because i think jude puts it perfectly like towards the end of the book when she thinks like i didn't i don't care that that Locke chose her but like she chose him over me like that's your fucking sister man yeah and yeah. not only is it her sister but it's like the only other mortal there. Like she right, should yeah. be able to trust her without yeah. a doubt because they're both going through the same thing. And exactly. I think- like it makes sense that she wouldn't trust any of the fairies there, but the fact that she can't even try, like her sister is the biggest betrayer here. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that you see Jude and Taryn both kind of take on personalities of the realm that they're in. I mean, Jude essentially solves all of her problems with murder, which I get. (laughs) But Taryn kind of takes a different route and she becomes just as conniving as everyone around her. Yeah. It really shows the strength of Jude compared to the weakness in Taryn because Taryn is obviously a victim of this whole thing too. But what she chooses to do in response to this is thinks that this is the only way that she can get ahead by like stooping to their level. And like, yeah, you could argue Jude stoops their level by like engaging in murder and whatnot, but she's doing it from a a point of like, it's just like a, um, it's a stronger choice, right? Like it's a more admirable choice, obviously. Mm -hmm. And so that's really fascinating to me too. And then you look at a character like Vivi, who is meant to be in this world, but hates this world, wants to go back to the mortal world, you know, she's not, she's part mortal. Their mother was mortal, but she, despite all of that, and despite everything she wants, you know, she is on the lookout for her sisters when they escape, when they're little and they like hide out in the mortal world for a few weeks. And Jude hates it, hates it. And so does Taryn. 
And Vivian takes them back. And that's like a huge self-sacrifice, right? And so like, she has a very interesting relationship with Vivi too. Like Vivi is playing her own games and she's, you know, very hyper concerned about like pissing Maddox off at all times. And she has this girlfriend in the mortal world. And like, so she has her own priorities too, but at the end of the day, like she'll throw down for her sisters. It just really sucks that Taryn won't do that too. I think the difference for me is that Judah's like playing by the rules because it's the only way that she can survive and thrive. Taryn is not only playing by the rules, but she's also kind of like ingrained herself into this like very weird. Enjoying it. It's like Stockholm syndrome where she's trying to assimilate. I can't. Right. So I'm just going to try to join them. And, you know, Jude plays by the rules, but she's always kind of separate. Yeah. She knows that like there's a line. I liken Taryn to like a Republican white woman, basically, (laughs) because her, the way that she sees it is like her proximity to power, which is like the fairies um, will protect her from them and, and all of their like machinations and stuff, but it really doesn't, you know, like, yeah, it's, it's just like the power of assimilation. You know, she thinks that if she assimilates that they're not going to, uh, you know, oppress her, but they are like, she's Mm -hmm. not protected by any of this. And Jude knows this. And that's why Jude is like, you know, if I can't be better than them, I'm going to become so much worse. And, you know, Taryn is just like weak. Like you said, like she makes the weaker choice here, which is to ingratiate herself to them. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very frustrating to read. You know, we've, all read books with um, like bad twins and it's like shocking behavior. Um, I think uh, another big example is the Royal We, uh, which is a book I love unabashedly, but like the twin in that book is awful too. And it's very fascinating to me, as I've said before on this podcast, isn't only child to like examine sibling relationships. And this is just, Hey, just because you're, you're their identical twin does not mean like you're going to be type forever and it sucks to read but I think it's just a really fascinating it's a really interesting choice and I think Locke too like he sucks but it's it's like fun to read a little bit I was like, gonna say I put down for my favorite character arc Locke and, and he's not my favorite character I hate him and I want bad things to happen to him and Taryn um <laughs> but like he was such an interesting evil character that I really enjoyed reading. Yeah. I think that like, there's an interesting Locke and Taryn thing where like Locke at one point when he's kissing Jude and he says like, you're not the way they said you would be. And I'm like, who's they? Because really the only they here is Taryn. Taryn is like, is giving them all this ammunition to, to use against Jude and, and like, not just like in offense, but like to get under her, defenses to let Locke get close to her so that he can really do some damage. Like, you know, what it really comes down to too. And I'm just like thinking back about like how we talked so much about Jude and her like feelings of shame about being mortal in this world and how, like, I don't want to say I'm like sympathetic to Taryn, but like, I have to think that a lot of that comes from her own feelings of like insufficiency because she's mortal in this world. Like Maddox, when Locke finally proposes Maddox, like, I don't think that this is right, but I'm not going to stand in the way of you. Like you're entitled to make your own mistakes. And she, rather than like taking that word of wisdom from her father figure, father, (laughs) she 
like deflates with like relief that she's going to be able to make this chair, like to, to be with this person. And so in some ways I'm like, it really sucks that you can't be as badass as your sister and have a little bit more sense of your self-worth because everyone around you is saying this is a terrible idea. And even though your father is like this very all powerful general, like you are in kind of a good position. If you're going to be mortal, Jude thinks about that a lot. Like at least we have Maddox protection. Despite that still, she falls to this path of like falling in with, with Locke. And it's, it's really, it's, it's really hard to read. I guess I understand it, but, and it's just, it's sad. Well, and I'm, I'm, it's pitiful. Um, but I, I guess I don't have sympathy. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I almost wondered when I was reading this, do I just really hate Taryn because we had that, we talked about like vulnerability versus weakness mm-hmm. and she's both yeah. in my mind, but part of me is like, do I think that because Jude is such a badass that I'm just like, why can't you do what she's doing? Right. Stand, stand up for yourself. Instead you become a tormentor of your sister to almost protect yourself. Yeah. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's the throwing Jude under the bus for me. <laughs> yeah. Right. I don't know if I necessarily hate Taryn or if I hate her choices because, yeah. you know, she just makes every choice that you'd like to think you would, you know, if I got swept up into fairy world, which I dream about every day, <laughs> um, I'd like to think that I would make different choices. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, Yes, I, I agree. I mean, I guess I'm I'm ultimately still like my notes on Taryn, just say fuck you, Taryn. And I'm gonna yeah. stand by that. But like I guess I like, you know, we talk a lot about, I guess, like the thesis statement, right, of this book is like how or one of them is how can a sister do this to a sister? And I guess yeah. I I get it. Like we've talked through I think we like understand why it doesn't mean I still like it. I don't like it. Right. But like I kind of get it. Like it doesn't feel like it's just like a weird narrative choice. Like, no, no, like it just sucks that she's so fucked up because of this world yeah. and like doesn't have the strength that her sister sisters mm. do. I will uh, say it, it is a, as realistic of, I think a sibling relationship as it can get. You just add swords to it because they duel and, you know, they almost kill each other. And then afterwards they're kind of, you know, chuckling about yeah. it. And there's definitely something very siblingy where you yeah. can just get in like a full on fist fight and then go to dinner yeah, it is. Uh, it is at least good that at the end she gives the crown to June. Let's talk about yeah. the end of this book because the, the first time I read it, it blew my mind. It even blew my mind more this time around because it's very fascinating to watch the seeds of Jude telling us the reader and telling Cardin one thing and then telling everyone else everything else. And it could be not as well done. I don't want to spoil which book it is. It's book we've all read where we have a first person POV where there's a huge twist and you, uh, I think there's varying thoughts on this podcast about whether or not that twist worked for you. Oh yeah. Uh, Did not work for me. Yeah. But what I think works really well here is there, the hints are there. If you know, back, go back and read. So like it does cut out when she tells the bomb her plan. She mm-hmm. like cuts that out, but there are moments where she says things like the plan, as I've told Cardin has five phases, one, two, three, four, five. And you're like, yeah. oh, okay. Like, great. This is what the the plan is. But it's like, no, no, 
she's what's it's what she sold Cardin. Like she's she also says too when she goes to like the court of termites and like the other people and she's trying to get allies. She says, Whatever you've heard about Prince Cardin, he will make a better king than his brother. At least there, I'm not lying. Like she's literally like that is her plan. Like it's there yeah. on the page. So she like lays it out there in such a clever way that like I don't feel cheated at all mm-hmm. by the the twist like it's it's and it helps that it's not like the whole book it's just like at the very end yeah he comes up with words are used so cleverly in this book because you have to have a way where the fairies can can lie without lying so you see them doing like you know speaking in like sentence fragments where they're just revealing certain truths about certain things that taken all together looks like they're saying this thing that is actually untrue yeah it's the wording in this book it's so clever I forgot. I'm not going to lie. I completely forgot what went down. (laughs) I knew at some point Cardin was on the throne, but I was like, I couldn't quite remember how it happened. And so rereading it again, as if I had never read it before, completely blown away when Oak puts the crown on Cardin's head. And the fact that Jude gets him down on it on his knees, like saying, "No, show him." Yeah, so smart. The whole time, yeah. Poisons. I was like giddy reading this because it was again so well done. I thought. Well, and the making him bargain to like do her bidding for a year and a day, like the the fact that you know, she realizes to what you said before, John, about like how, like I can use this, I can use like his attraction for me. She totally does that with the whole end game, like plan here. Like it's perfect. It's brilliant. She, knows enough about him then at that point to know that like she can probably like play him right into her her hands here and he's gonna do her bidding and he gets him he the fact that she even gets him to agree to like be bound to her for a year and a day is like incredible like it's so awesome and the way she tricks him is so good i love it so much yeah jude is just an incredible character amazing and then how she bests maddox yeah, oh it's God, like so the good. quintessential ending. Well, I for this book, but for that relationship, I yeah. thought. And I love how like every little thing that she does to prepare like herself to to start fighting these people in the beginning of the book, it come you know it comes to fruition in the end, like her starting to poison herself and stuff. Like you know, there there is nothing like left hanging on the wall here. Everything is yeah. used. The plotting, that's what I was saying earlier, like the plotting in this book is just, it's unreal. Like everything is important. Everything comes together in such a natural way. You know, reading this book the first time, you know, as consumers of media, like I think we're trained to expect like, this isn't going to go quite how we think it's going to go for Prince Dane here. But like Holly Black pulls off a like something almost akin to like the Red Wedding because the whole coup scene is like shocking and so cleverly done with how the inheritance works in this world too. And the idea of like how you have to all these people these are the only people who can crown each other. So then when like the one sister's like, fine, I'll do it. And then the ghost shoots her and the other sister's like over my dead body and kills herself. I'm like, what is happening? Like all of the build up to the end is so good. It's it's and so the, cleverly done. Mm. The build up to that scene specifically, I love. Like it's so tense the entire yeah. time without you see Jude's you family getting ushered away. Like it's yeah, you see little it, things. family leaving and you're just thinking like something's going on. Something's that happening. in itself is and, very red wedding too. 
Yeah. Right. And then she starts noticing that she knows all of, that Maddox men are all the people that are around the royal family. And yeah, when Maddox men turn their backs on the royal family, I'm like, oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's going down. And then um, also in that whole time freaking out, like not knowing where Cardin is. And it turns out he's yeah. just like passed out drunk somewhere and shows up later. Yeah. Like, yeah. I do love that scene though, where like, he should like she's hiding under a table and he shows up and he's just fucking hammered and he's like you're immortal <laughs> you shouldn't be here but I like that he's like his his entire family has just been slaughtered and uh, yeah. everybody's looking for him and he's seeking out Jude to yeah. like, make sure she's safe I will say talking about the last scene or the last major plot point and and Cardin like I almost felt like Jude acknowledges like I betrayed him and now he hates me Whatever there was before, he now hates me. And there was almost this like tinge of like regret mm-hmm. that I loved because yeah. it it one shows you how much their relationship has progressed. And number two, like that tinge of regret, she knows that she had to do it. She knows what she had to do. She had to betray him. But unlike Maddox, yep, she does feel the consequences of that. Yep. Yeah, I think it goes back to like kind of what I was saying earlier too that like Cardin is not the enemy here. And like Maddox really is, right? And she doesn't feel that regret over what she just did. Maddox. It's such a huge moment of triumph. But then to be left with this kind of like, oh shit, what did I do? Like, what did I do? What did I do? And it's fascinating. And it can, on the one hand, be spun as like something that she thinks about often leading up was like, I'm crowning this guy who I have hated for so long. And she like, looks at Taryn and Taryn being like, what the fuck is going on? And she's like, yeah, it must be really weird to see me doing this. Uh, But that's not really what her discomfort is. Like her discomfort isn't that she's uh, crowned Cardin, who she's hated. It's that like, I tricked him and I feel bad about it. And now like I'm Mm -hmm. kind of as mercy. And it's, it's such a juicy ending to set up the next book. I really, I like it a lot. Oh, it's like, it's so good. I'll just go back to if you read this and didn't like it, I don't know. Yeah, I don't I don't really get what, it. Yeah. What happened in your life? And I <laughs> I don't I don't really get it. And what's interesting too, and I think yeah, I, I don't know. I don't get it. I remember when I read this the first time too, like talking with Tasia in front of the pod Jesse, who's gonna be on one of our later episodes for this series, but like uh, both of you being like, eh, the first book's like kind of fine. Yeah, I remember the first time I read the first book, I think I was um I was, I think, more in Jude's headspace. So I was also just kind of like pissed about everything that had gone down, like in the bullying and stuff. And I was like, I don't know, like, like I see what they're trying to do, but I don't know. I I was, I remember being mad when mm-hmm. I read the first book, but I continued to read them. And after the second one, I was like, oh yeah, no, I'm obsessed. Yeah. This is definitely a yeah. book that like grows better on reread. I think that mm-hmm. like both Jenna and I probably felt a little more favorable to the first book the first time around than I think maybe. I gave it five did. stars. Yeah. I like it. It, but on reread, it is it is really good. I found mm-hmm. Jude like way less frustrating this time around mm-hmm. than Me I too. did. Um, and I don't know that I it's I think because I'm just more in tune with like the the feelings of like torture that she's had essentially being in this world and I do think I just have more of an appreciation for how clever Holly's writing is in writing Cardin as someone who like, of course she Jude would think that he 
hate like it hates her and is is torturing her like of course you like it makes sense now it's not what i wanted to see like i wanted them to like be together more and so it's a lot less frustrating than to read it back again because a you know how carton is feeling and b you are just you're not as concerned about it you're like looking for all these other seeds too so yeah it's just get serious man i really like it i think on reread i actually got to appreciate the plotting of the book. Yeah. There is not one character who is not amazingly developed. Mm-hmm. You feel like, you know, even though you've only been introduced to them a couple times, there's not one plot point that is left hanging. You know, everything yeah. gets wrapped yeah. up so well. Um, all of the characters choices, as much as I do or don't like them, I make sense. Mm-hmm. And so I think on this reread, I really got to appreciate that. However, I will say one thing I hated was she uses this word mislike all the time. Oh, yeah. That's like, I word. misliked that. Like, no. is that a fairy thing? Yeah. That's never it's like an old timey thing. Yeah. <laughs> Which that's <laughs> very odd. makes it a fairy thing. Just say dislike. Just say yeah. dislike. Yeah. It's, the, it's the same word. Yeah. It feels word. kind of anachronistic to yeah. like Jude being born in 2001. Yeah. Um, One of the thing that's, things that's really interesting, though, I think, is how we do have the mortal world and they go back so often and they're like in Target at the end. Like, it's just it, it should maybe be like more of a shock to the system and like take you out of it. But it like doesn't at all because I just think all the human versus fairy stuff is so well drawn and like the comparison of it is so interesting that I don't know. It really works. It's so cool. Like when they when they do go back to the mortal world, I'm like, oh, look, like. I know Target. Like, I know it. I've been there. I was there. <laughs> so often. But yeah, so I, I just, I just, it's, it's all really, really well done. It's- I wanted to go back a little bit to talking about like um, foreshadowing things that paid off in the end of the book. I really oh, yeah. liked how in the beginning, um, and Jude talked about when she first came to Ferry and she heard about this, uh, the Lake of Masks. And uh, mm-hmm. she'd been hoping this whole time for like years that she would see her mother's face in it at some point. She never did. And she'd kind of given up on that. At the end, she finally does see her mother's face and mm. her mother and Maddox. And I just really like that because, um, I don't know, I find it a really satisfying beat. And also, I think it's just a really great cap on on Jude's arc throughout this. Like her trying to ingratiate herself into fairy and, and make herself like a part of it and, and part of their culture and everything. And she finally gets that at the end where she sees her, her mother's face in the mat and the league of masks. Yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. One other thing I thought was interesting was when Jude tries to save Sophie mm-hmm. and how wrong that goes. And that is what did make me feel a little bit, like I understood Taryn because you see like we've been in Jude's head. And so she's very much accepted this world. She plays by their rules. She knows what's going on. And she's at towards the end of the book kind of thriving in it where she is essentially like the de facto leader of this world. But when Sophie comes to out of the, the glamor and she just can't handle it and she essentially kills herself because she just, can't understand the world. I did think, okay, I'm used to the world, but adapting to it would be a nightmare. And so maybe the only way Taryn can adapt, because she was either going to 
she had to, right? There's no other option was to make these unpopular choices. That's a really good point. I mean, she That's could really run away point. to the human world with with uh, Vivi. But can they at this point? Like, I mean, you see how much they've changed. Like, Jude is straight up and 100% all yeah. deserve, but like straight up murdering people. Yeah, you I just really think like Tara makes a choice, you know, like she, yeah. she chooses to assimilate. And therefore, you know, making, you know, going back to the human world pretty much impossible for her, but it leads her to make these awful choices that betray her sister. Yeah. It's like, I, I guess I, I get what you're saying too, Jenna, like in terms of like, she can't go back to the human world, but she's in a position. She's not like Sophie. Sophie was a servant who is being abused and like manipulated and under magic and et cetera, et cetera. Um, Taryn can't go back because of all she's seen. So I get that. But like, how does she survive them? Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I guess, again, I do kind of get it. That's a very good interest. It's a very interesting comparison. It's just like, she does make a bad choice. Not yeah. Bad. Again, Taryn, girl, it's on sight. On <laughs> sight. But uh, I do kind of understand it, especially when I look at, you know, another mortal's reaction to the world. Like it is so different. And how yeah. do you live a normal human life after, you know, what she went through. Yeah. Yeah. Then I think even Jude thinks at some point in the book, I don't have this quote noted down or anything, but I think she thinks about how if she let fear run her life here, then she would be just like, and I think that's the difference between them is Taryn does let the fear run her life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very good point. Very good point. I do kind of see that too, when Jude sends Oak, to live in the human world too. I think she knows what growing up in this world does. Like, look what it's turned her and, and Taryn into. And so she knows if Oak grows up in this world, he's going to just essentially turn into Cardin. Yeah. Yeah. I love that quote at the end there where she says like, or he's like, how do I know when it's time to come back? And she's like, when coming back is a hard choice and not an easy one. Yeah. I think that that's so good. Oh, Good book is good. <laughs> I love it so much. This is really fun. I'm so glad we're covering us. I am really glad so that we good. picked this this series to be our like one year podcast anniversary. It's a good one. It's really good. Yeah, I really so like good. it a lot. Oh, gosh. All right. Superlatives. Let's do it. All right. Superlatives and we'll do some spoilery thoughts for the rest of the series afterwards. All right. Favorite quote. Teja, would you like to go first? Yeah, I have. A lot. That's great. <laughs> My apologies. I thought I was supposed to be good and follow the rules. I say, but I'm done with being weak and I'm done with being good. I think I'm going to be something else. Yeah. I love it because it's a little ominous. Like I'm, I'm going to be something else. Yeah, yeah. On a similar note, if you hurt me, I wouldn't cry. I would hurt you back. Good moment. Yeah, we stand a Scorpio queen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jenna. So I picked my quote because I, on this reread, absolutely loved the dynamic between Maddox and Jude. So many nights I drifted off to sleep to his rumbling voice reading from a book of battle strategy. And despite myself, despite what he'd done and what he was, I came to love him. I do love him. It's just not a comfortable kind of love. I love that. It's so good. I'm going to jump in here and piggyback off that because I also have, this is after the the poisoning saying, father, I am what you made me. I've become your daughter after all. And it's just like, 
such a good build on moments like what you just read, Jenna, where he's like, you know, he, this whole book, he's told her how she's not, there's things she's not capable of, but like, he's also trying to make her into this weapon and he's training her, et cetera. And then she bests him. It's great. It's very complicated and fraught and fascinating and really enriches this story. I think, uh, Tasia, you other ones. Uh, yeah, this is Jude talking to Taryn. She says, I'm tired of caring. I say, why should I? Because they could kill you. They better, I say to her, because anything else than that isn't going to work. Yep. That's our girl. Bad bitch. That's (laughs) our girl. Let's see here. Uh, I have a a carding quote. This is actually one of my favorite quotes of the whole series um, because it plays with the, his ability, the inability to lie. Yeah. And it's just like some of their banter and like flirting is kind of subtle. And I really like how it, it shakes out by the end. And it kind of does this in this moment too, to distract her a little bit because it's like all the plans are about to come to fruition. And she actually thinks like, Oh good. We're back to this again. Like it's mm-hmm. taking some pressure off me, but he says there's text in here that I've omitted, but have I told you how hideous you look tonight? No, tell me I cannot. I can't. I love how it grounds her in that moment. Yeah. She's like freaking out, like you said, and and it's almost like he can sense that. And he's like, well, let me poke the bear a little bit. So she gets that fire back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I also love there's like these weird, like dem- like weirdly little domestic moments. Like at one point, um, either the bomb or the roach pours them glasses of wine. And Carden just like reaches over and grabs hers and his. And yeah. I feel like it's like just weirdly domestic and or like familiar, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's just oh God, everything they say to each other is so good. I love it so much. All right. What else do you have? Jenna, do you have more? I don't know. Okay. I mean, everything. I right, couldn't right. pick. Yeah. Just read the entire book. Can I, I just want to read the entire passage where they're making out. Can I do that? Right. <laughs> I think I wrote that, that down my as, favorite my, quote. <laughs> as my favorite swoon <laughs> moment. Um, I think she's she's thinking about Dane here. She says, or she thinks, I will make him proud of me. Everyone else, I will make very, very sorry. Mm, I like that. That's good. Um, I'm going to throw in another one, which I had not in this section, but I like it. So I'm going to say it again, because this is a good example of Carden and Jude's like banter. Once they start like figuring each other out, it's when she keeps him in the woods and she's going to try to like get allies. And he he says take care. He says, and then smiles. It would be very dull to have to sit here for an entire day just because you went and got yourself killed. My last thoughts would be of your boredom. I tell him. <laughs> and I was like, I really like them. Oh my God. Uh, she's talking to Cardin. She says, I can be charming. I charmed you, didn't I? He rolls his eyes. Do not expect others to share my depraved tastes. So good. It's so good. I love it so much. Uh, okay. Favorite character and favorite character arc. So my favorite character is Carden Greenbrier. <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting for the first of his name. High King of Elfham. I was thinking about it. Yeah, High King of Elfham. Yeah, love him. I, I just think like he's he's he, everything. Everything he's that every instance of him in this book is so cleverly written. He is so clever. How he uses his ability, his inability to lie, like and how he sneaks his way through things his charm and how he immediately like captivates everyone like when jude comes 
back to the court of shadows and he's like untied playing cards with the rest mm-hmm. of the spies. Like he's just a, kind of a bit of a charm bomb. Uh, and I, I love that about him. I also love the moments of vulnerability we get from him where he tells Jude that like he smiles when he's nervous and he's been nervous a lot, which is why he's been smiling so much. And Jude observes like his tail giving him away, like, cause his tail's like shaking. He's nervous. So I just, I really love him. Um, I just do. I'm sorry. I do. And uh, yeah, Jude for Ark for me, it's the beginning of her journey, but it's, it's a good one. And I like it. Yeah. Uh, retweet. Everything you just said. Uh, <laughs> okay. yeah. Copy, copy, paste. All right. And then Donna, I know you, you have this noted here. We talked about a little bit, like how Locke is. <laughs> yeah. like, Jude is my favorite character. She has the best arc. I will say I loved reading Locke. I mean, he's a, a decent, I think, foil for Cardin even because yeah. he's cruel, but for the sake of what? Yeah. You know, why, yeah. why pick Taryn? <laughs> Locke is a, is, is a, a messy bitch who loves the drama. Yeah. And you gotta, Honestly, you gotta, on some level, you have to appreciate that. Yeah. He loves a story. It's mm-hmm. like, all right, dude. <laughs> One of the things I think that's like fascinating about him is how, um, or is that her name? Orlana or Oriana? Oriana. When Oriana says that she couldn't help but love Locke a little bit because she loved his mother so much. And I think that that's really fascinating because I don't think like we have the character like Varian, who's like a huge psycho who like comes to kill, um, comes to kill Jude and is obviously very violent. And like, yeah, like what Locke does is super shitty, but it's kind of like fascinating to me in the way that like a character like Littlefinger in Game of Thrones is fascinating to me, like not good. Like you're not a good person. You're fascinating to read and and kind of see how you are playing this game and it's twisted and like it's for your own amusement, but it's not like it's not as outwardly evil as like murder. It's, 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 kind of fascinating. it's just like entertaining. It's entertaining. Yeah. Um so yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I also want to shout out while we're in this section of the entire court of shadows, we get more of them going forward, but I really do like them a lot. I love, uh, I, I love ghost in particular is my favorite. Like he just is, he has like funny, like kind of banter with Jude too. And I really like it. And I so. think they connect on an extra level him and Jude because he is Part half mortal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think he's just hot. Like it's yeah, not really canon, but it is. He seems hot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I totally. mean, it is. It's the first thing she knows about him. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, I love a man who can climb a rafter. So right. yeah, no, he's always up high. It's it's appealing. Mm-hmm. It's strong. Yeah, he could climb. Me. It's, it's the confidence kink, you guys. That's what it is. <laughs> it's coming back. It's it's coming home. This book has really like forced me to really examine some of the things I'm into um, <laughs> because yeah. if I do not get to tie someone up to a chair and hold a knife to his throat, exactly while I make out with him, then this book I've definitely not lived a life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then oh, let's talk about um, favorite swoon moment. Uh, Tasia, mm-hmm. since we just like talked about it, do you want to read what you have from that moment? Because sure. that's the best, truly. Yeah. Um, I can feel the moment he gives in and gives up, pulling me to him despite the threat of the knife. He kisses me hard with a kind of devouring desperation, fingers digging into my hair. Our mouths slide together, teeth over lips, over tongues. Desire hits me like a kick to the stomach. It's like fighting, except what we're fighting for is to crawl inside each other's skin. So good. 
what I really like about this series, and I guess this is maybe like a little bit of a spoiler going forward, like the ro- romance is like a part of it, but it's not all of it. And there's only like one scene in each book that's like physical in this mm-hmm. sense. And but they're also well done. Yeah. And this is just it's just so good. It's so good. But it doesn't feel like that because like the tension just like permeates yeah, right. yeah. every single moment. Yeah. We don't need explicit that- kissing to have tension and fire yeah do totally. we need it no do we want it yes always yeah. so that's what the fan fix for um jenna i said this one before but it's i mean so good so fitting in most of all i hate you because i think of you often it's disgusting and i can't stop oh my god chef's kiss of a lie i i literally think i squealed like a little girl mm-hmm. when i read this it was embarrassing and i'm glad no one heard oh, it except for the ghosts god. who are trying to murder me <laughs> I know it's it's too much I for my sweet moment I mean there's just like so much I wrote like every time Cardin like looks at you like there's just so many subtle moments like his jaw ticking and like things like that but for me I think it might be him absentmindedly tracing the shape of her ear like if we're saying like strictly swoon that is probably the top yes. swoon moment I read that and I was like oh this is it this mm-hmm. is the quintessential mm-hmm. like are you kidding me? Like I, and he like, then he realizes what he's doing and he like stops. They're both like, uh, and I love how, uh, I don't know if it's in that scene or some other time, but Jude thinks about how, like once you kiss someone like that permeates over everything, every interaction yeah. with that person. But no, I love that. He just like, doesn't even realize he's doing it. Ah! Yeah. That's, and that really, that's what it is. That's what really makes you think about like the Jude letter, the Jude, 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 Jude over and over again. It's just like, He's just like, he can't stop. He's consumed by her and that's hot. Like even when they're at Locke's party and and like that other girl is like kissing on him and like groping him and stuff. And he's just like making this eye contact with Jude, like not looking away from her. And I'm like, this is also something that's working for me in a weird level here. When his like mouth is painted with cold and stuff. Mm, Mm -hmm. That's so good. Uh, Is this when we talk about how... Paige is coming to visit Halloween weekend, and we are doing a, as may, you may have seen on on TikTok, a book boyfriend uh, party. And I have elected to dress as Cardin. It's like I do love him, but it's a lot to do with costume reasons. And I think Paige, when you were reading this book, she just texted me. She's like, "I can't wait to paint your face with so much sparkle." <laughs> Yeah, I'm just gonna I'm gonna just spackle all the all the sparkle onto your face. It's gonna be great. I'm bringing all the highlighter. Oh my god, yes, please! I can't wait. Yeah. I have bought so many weird things on Amazon. A tail, <laughs> like, <laughs> like a feather. At one point, he's wearing like a feather thing, like yeah, a cape like thing. A I bought yeah. that. Yeah, I'm ready. I'm so ready to be bedazzled like Cardin. <laughs> I know as I was reading this book, I just kept thinking about you dressing up as Cardin being like, look at all this fashion inspo we're getting. Like we're being blessed here. He is, he's an icon. There is so much there. So yeah, uh, stay tuned for that. We'll probably have some pictures on our social because I think everyone, yeah, everyone so far who is like coming to the party is dressing like a boyfriend who has been featured on this podcast. Yeah. And pretty much everybody that's coming to the party has been on the podcast. So true. <laughs> Look at that. Yep. Yeah. So anyway, mm-hmm. on that note, I think we're done with Superlotus for now. We're going to have a little quick music cue here. And then we're going to talk about some things that are relevant to the rest of this series going forward. So if you've not read it all, turn back now and come back at a later time. 
Uh, now that we're in the spoiler section on the ear note, um, what I think I really liked about that too is obviously it by itself it's great, but then um, after reading the Cardin novella, the how the um, King of Elfham learned hate stories, there's a, a a story in there, and I haven't reread it since I initially read it, but where he he like kind of is thinking about the ear and he's fixating on like the shape of her ear, and I just oh, I love it. It's great. And one of the things I think generally too, I mean, we knew this by the end of the series, but reading that book like goes to show how much Cardin liked Jude for so long and how mm-hmm. he fought it. And it's just like very fascinating. Can't wait to talk about it. So that was, that was good. I have, so I'm not sure if I'm remembering this correctly. So let me know if I am, but um, Taryn is the one that kills Locke, right? Yes. And I feel I have this as soon as Maddox, like she talks about the gift that Maddox gave her, which is like the set of knives for the table. Um, I had this memory or maybe I'm making it up. I don't know that Taryn killed Locke with one of those knives, like at their dinner table, basically. By like stabbing him. So I I don't know if that's a false memory, if that's a real memory. If it is a real memory, then I fucking love it because like we've got Chekhov's knife set here, like just waiting to go off. And, you know, two books, you know, three books later or whatever. Yeah. Uh, So I love, I love that. That's fascinating. When does he die in again? I forgot. It's Queen of Nothing, right? Because that's when she, the beginning of Queen of Nothing, that's how she gets do uh, to come back because she's like mm-hmm. I killed Locke I'm pregnant <laughs> mm, yeah. that's, yes, yes. that's a rough <laughs> a rough, rough turn of events there with a sibling yeah. yeah you did what related I think to like setting up the queen of nothing I think like the end of this book is fascinating to look at in comparison to the end of the wicked king yes the wicked king was what's going because like I think it's really important to understand like Jude's mindset and being like how she doesn't pick up on what Cardin's doing at that moment, because she did the same thing to him at the end of this book. Like she totally pulled one over on him and like in abused his trust. And so it makes sense that despite all their progress through the wicked King at the end where he banishes her she doesn't even think to think that he's given her an escape hatch to come back. And so I just think it's really, especially when you talked about to Jenna, about how like she feels bad about it at the end, like what she's done to him. Mm-hmm. It makes sense to me. It tracks for me then that she like, it doesn't think about. It's almost like her own guilty conscience, right? Like I deserve right. this well, on some level. Yeah. And the banishment. Why wouldn't happens, he do this? Yeah. Right. right. After he finds out that she killed his brother. <laughs> Oh, that's right. So I think in her yeah. mind, she's like, oh, I forgot about obviously that. Obviously, yes. he hates mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think that just goes back to just her willingness to accept, like, oh, yeah, he banished me. Um, is that she just keeps getting betrayed. Even continuing on with the story, she gets betrayed not only by the ghost, but again by Taryn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, true. of course, she's like, oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Of course, he banished me. You yeah, know. I definitely feel like I'm understanding where Jude, because I do remember being really frustrated with Jude at points for like just kind of like willfully ignoring all of these like signposts. But I'm like, mm, it doesn't feel like willfully ignoring. It feels like a self defense kind of thing. Yeah. While we briefly just mentioned Taryn and the ghost, I want to just 
shout out to him throwing the the crown to Taryn and thinking it's Jude. It's just really interesting because there's definitely, particularly in the third book, a lot of hints of ghosts in Taryn being a thing uh, going forward. And we all talked before we started recording today about how like we were all on board with it by the time we read The Queen of Nothing. And now I'm like back to hating Taryn. So I'm like, am I going to get there again? Because I was. I probably will. Yeah. I don't, yeah, I know. I don't I'm know trash. how I'm fresh I for got him. there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm fresh for him. But so that's just like an interesting initial moment. Like, is that the moment like Taryn first is on his radar? I don't know. But that was interesting. Yeah. Uh, Tasia, what else do you have? I love the imagery. Like there, there's this moment where she's been carrying around Cardin's signet ring. And uh, she slips it under her finger, even though she knows it's like the wrong thing to do or whatever. And uh, I just love that as like a little hint to where they're going to end up at the end of uh, The Wicked King. And on that same note, the, help me out here. What's the group of spies called? Court of Shadows. Court of Shadows. Oh, when the Court of Shadows gives her her nickname. The Queen, yeah. And she thinks it's going to be a liar, but they're like, no, it's the queen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's so good. Ah. I definitely think they all pick up on the card to dude vibes as well, for sure. Well, like when they, Um, she takes them back to the room and they come back and like, you done interrogating? Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) interrogating. (laughs) Um, I also like, I mean, this is like a really small thing, but uh, Jude has a stuffed snake and it's mentioned like four times in this book. So that's, yeah, like Vivi's playing with like its tongue or something. There's a lot of snake imagery. Like I think it's on maybe the throne too, or like the crown. There's it's just a lot there. And yeah, I mean, the, one of the things too, the first time I read the queen of nothing, I remember, I think it was Jesse being like, look at the cover. Like there's a queen, or like there's a snake and like a broken crown. Like it's all right there. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, that's, that's really subtle and clever. And again, just shows how well plotted this series is. It's, it's, that's a delicious little Easter egg. I love it. And too, like, it's helpful to know that some of like the like court of termites and like those people come into play more. Um, there's the moment mm-hmm. where the guy who's the head of the court of termites says like, I'm going to need a favor one day from your king yeah. and like we get all that. And um, so it's just, it's nice to pay attention to kind of realize, I don't totally remember, but like, oh, I need to pay attention to these people. They're not just like passing through the story here. Mm-hmm. They will have some ramifications going forward. So, yeah. And that's what I love about this series. It's like every person has a story, has an art. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They really Did do. Did you guys read the little short story about him and like his pixie girlfriend that's at the end of this or as at the end of my copy of this book? I did not because I, I finished reading it. this book about an hour before we recorded. <laughs> <laughs> I skimmed it, but there was just a, there's just kind of a funny moment where um, once she, like his, I can't remember her name, but his pixie consort uh, realizes that that Cardin is, is like the new high king or whatever. And she lives in the mortal world. And like, that's mm-hmm. what their whole little story about is about is, um, yeah her deciding like she's going to leave the mortal world to come be in fairy permanently with, with the, this guy. Anyway. So she like owns a coffee shop or something in the story. And when she finds out the Cardin is the King, she brings him a gift and he opens it at the end of their little story. And it's just a coffee mug that says, I rule. <laughs> I I it was really cute. I like that too. Is a nice nod to like, I love it. The the very end of the book, Queen of Nothing ends with Jude taking Cardin to the mortal world mm-hmm. and they're going to get. I it's like, so endearing. 
Yeah, I, I love the idea of them just moving back and forth between the two. And God, I can't wait to read more. Um, so I guess on that note, we should wrap up. Jenna, thank you so much for coming back. Thank you for having me. We loved having you here. Uh, we, we should not wait ne- as long next time to have you back to talk about something in the future because it's always fun when you're here. Uh, so thank you so much. Yeah. No, this was, I love this series. So I'm it's either you guys or just random people on the street. I will talk about it. <laughs> so I'm glad it got recorded and uh, yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, before we leave, I guess uh, it obviously makes sense what we're covering next time. Uh, but next week, we're back on a weekly schedule for the rest of the series. We'll be covering book two, The Wicked King. We're going to have another guest with us, a first time guest on Act Age. So we're very excited about that. Uh, so check your podcast feeds next week for that. Um, in the meantime, Tasia, where can everyone find you online? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Ragey Cakes. And I'm on Instagram at Rin underscore reads. You can find the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at Act Yet Age. You can also shoot us an email if you'd like at actyagepod at gmail.com. And then if you wouldn't mind rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, we'd greatly appreciate it. We'd particularly love like a written review. We'll read it. Like we get a new one, we'll read it. It would be really great. And this would be very helpful to us to get up in the search results a little bit more. Um, That would be fantastic. So I think that's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed episode one. We're really excited to talk about the rest of the series going forward. See you next week. Bye. Bye.